So I started out life in the police service. I completed 30 years, retired as a senior police officer, and I took all of the skills and experiences and reflections that I had in the police service and took them into the commercial world. Then we get to the question of once you've recruited, what do you do with people of colour, people of diversity? And that's where the cultural problem happens. And that's where we've had a little bit of a blind eye into mm. how cultures can create barriers um, yeah. that stifle, particularly women and particularly people of mixed ethnicity within organisations. Yeah. And the thing is, within most public and corporate bodies, what people want is a quick fix. Yeah, We haven't yeah. got enough people of colour with a quick fix. We, we haven't got people coming through the ranks. We need a quick fix. We yeah. haven't got people on the board. We need a quick fix. With, with things to do with culture and things yeah. to do with organisational change of people, it takes five to ten years for you to right. really embed that inclusiveness. And yeah. people are going, oh, do I really want to spend that much money? Well, actually, you're wasting loads of money on events rather than programmes. As I say, a brave organisation has courageous conversations. Start having those courageous conversations rather than masking them over and saying, well, we've do we're doing OK. Welcome to HR Live Lounge, where you get to meet with some of the most inspirational human resources leaders and talent acquisition specialists on the planet. And now, here's your host, Roy Ripper. Hey everyone, welcome back to a brand new episode. And today, we are really fortunate to be able to welcome uh, an amazing guest, uh, Dr. Kul Verma. Now, Cool has spent the last 34 years involved in leadership training, coaching, organizational change, and with particular emphasis on equality, diversity, and inclusion. Cool is an ex-very senior police officer. He left the police force as a district commander, so one of the most senior levels that you can get to in the police force. And he spent the last three decades uh, working with police forces, but other organizations, other corporates, and looking at that whole DEI space. Now, in today's episode, uh, Call is going to be looking at the importance of understanding the why behind diversity and inclusion initiatives within our organizations. He's going to be talking about strategies for talent acquisition including re-evaluating your job adverts and removing any barriers for underrepresented groups. Paul will also talk about employee retention and the necessity for creating a culture of inclusivity and support within your organizations. Stay tuned to the end because he's going to mention a really, really special individual that is making a very positive impact in the field of diversity and inclusion. So let's get into this episode. Hey, and welcome everybody to HR Live Lounge. And uh, it's another great episode for you. So what I want to do is introduce my very, very special guest, Dr. Cool Verma. 
the CEO of Deep Insight. So my first job is welcome call. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited about this podcast. And listen, we're really honoured to have you. So, cool. look, let's just get straight into this. For the people that are listening to this or watching this episode, please give a brief outline of your career to date and then your current role at Deep Insight. Okay, so I started out life in the police service. I completed 30 years, retired as a senior police officer, and I took all of the skills and experiences and reflections that I had in the police service and took them into the commercial world where I am now the CEO of Deep Insight Limited. Now, Deep Insight, it's a disruptive thinking company aimed at creating new habits of thinking because I'm passionate when we think differently, we can act differently. I have been described by others as a leading authority on training an organisation particularly on equality, diversity and inclusion. And I say that because I think for a long time, and we may want to explore this, um, that's been done to death. There's been millions of pounds um, applied to it, but our approach has been incorrect, including the government's approach and organisations. So I've got over 34 years of experience of working on leadership, training, coaching, organisational change, And I've performed um, various roles at national and international levels. Uh, One of my favourite deployments was in Kenya, um, helping capacity of the Kenyan police service to grow their talent. And, you know, as part of a former police officer, during my time, I forged my own success. And the quote that I always use, which is our banner headline with Deep Insight, is brave organisations have courageous conversations. Wow. I love that call. I really do. Look, look, question for you, and I'm sure that a lot of our listeners and viewers are going to be asking this. You dropped in there about our governments. And, you know, I, I'm presuming that it, this isn't just limited to the UK. Your international experience will bear this out. But you said that governments often get this wrong. Just I'm really interested to find out what is going wrong, because a lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people are committing to it publicly. But in your opinion, something's going wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what's going wrong is the approach. The approach that we have is that we are trying to be inclusive without, first of all, explaining why we need to be inclusive. So. Governments always will say we need a diverse community because we need to reflect communities. But why? Why, why, why do organisations need to bother or care or actually reach out? And one of the things that we need to do, and if your listeners are interested, Matthew Saeed in his book, Rebel Ideas, in his chapter one, gives the perfect example. So when we had Osama bin Laden um, threatening um, the US, the US intelligence services ignored that threat. The reason why they ignored it was that the assessment teams were all white. They were from Stanford or Yale. Okay. They had a different worldview and they had a cultural worldview of uh, America, threats, and what they didn't have. They didn't have cultural intelligence. Now, if you look at the CIA and the FBI now, they will look like you and me. They will have people with different culture. So 
you're interested in the why, every time I go to an organization, I ask them for a business outcome. Tell me what your business outcome is. Now, when I was working as a senior consultant for the Police Uplift Programme, this was Boris Johnson's 2000 Extra Cops. Well, there weren't 2000 Extra Cops because we'd actually lost more than that. That's another, that's another conversation. Sure. But when we were talking about that recruitment drive, I spoke to national police outreach teams who could not answer the question why we are recruiting. Now, what I had to do is actually get them to readjust their minds as to what are the benefits of having diversity in the police service. So one of them would be that we've never had the capability of surveilling black or Asian gangs. We don't have enough black or Asian surveillance officers. That's a business outcome. The moral case is good because we all want to be good in life, but sure. the business case is better. If you can root your approach in business outcomes, it becomes better and the cell becomes stronger because now you say, we have got a gap in our capacity and capability, and that's why we need people like you and me. Sure. More of them. <laughs> uh, well, skilled more. Then we get to the question of once you've recruited, what do you do with people of colour, people of diversity? And that's where the cultural problem happens. And that's where we've had a little bit of a blind eye into mm. how cultures can create barriers um, yeah. that stifle particularly women and particularly people of mixed ethnicity within organisations. Yeah. yeah. Cool. There's so much to unpack from, from, from what you've just said. And I'm really, really interested in that why, because I've not heard that sort of communicated at all. Could you give us a best example of what that why could be? When you speak with any of your clients, what's the best example that you hear? Okay, there's many examples. I've given you the surveillance, you know, when we when we are talking about governments in terms of analysis, police analysis is still very specialised and it still looks very white. It mm. still looks very white, middle-aged. Middle, middle age. So that there you've got the public service. But if we move into other organisations, one client is a housing association client. It's how do you then welcome people into social housing? Mm. So one of the things that might happen is that with the best intentions, you have a bowl of fruit and you have a bottle of wine. But what if that, what if you're client is from a muslim background or doesn't drink well somebody sure. came up with an alternative which was we buy non-alcoholic wine but it still looks the same yeah so th the best intentions are there but we keep falling over because we don't realize the why and yeah. one of the things that we really need to do is build cultural intelligence and cultural intelligence is is lacking within government bodies and the thing is, within most public and corporate bodies, what people want is a quick fix. Yeah, We haven't yeah. got enough people of colour with a quick fix. We, we haven't got people coming through the ranks. We need a quick fix. We yeah. haven't got people on the board. We need a quick fix. With, with things to do with culture and things yeah. to do with organisational change of people, it takes five to ten years for you to right. really embed that inclusiveness. 
And yeah. people are going, oh, do I really want to spend that much money? Well, actually, you're wasting loads of money on events rather than programs. And what I'm trying to say to people is look at a long term business program on inclusivity rather than one off events where you've trained 120 people. That that would just get you a 10 percent um, grit in yeah. terms of traction. But if you are really, really wanting to make an inclusive organization, you've got to invest in the strategy. You've got to invest in the assistance, in mentoring, coaching, and mm. people understanding. So there's a lot to do still. And un unfortunately, we've used the wrong approach. The approach that we have used in training is that we use the fear approach. The fear mm. is white people are fearful of the words they mm. use. They might be classed as a racist. And black or Asian people, people of color, are fearful of coming out, putting their head above the parapet and saying, you know, it's not okay for me. What do you mm. mean it's not okay? So you have these two polars. So what we need to get to is we need to just bring those two polar opposites together and build, as I say, a brave organization has courageous conversations. Start mm. having those courageous conversations rather than masking them over and saying, well, we've done, we're doing okay. Yeah. Listen, I, I, I really, really like that. And and the work that you've done with a lot of these governmental and non-governmental corporate um, businesses, I'm just really interested to know, not just the client work that you've done, but maybe from your career and, and, and looking at the police force. My question to you is, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned over those years of working? So biggest lesson that, you, that you've had and where you faced a challenge and then you had that eureka moment. What was it for you? Well, uh, there's, so, there's so many. I don't there's think loads. <laughs> there's loads. I think the major challenge for me was reform, reforming the police. For me, mid-term, during my career in the police, I knew something wasn't right. Yeah. Something wasn't right. And there was a group of people that came together, people of colour, and we formed it took over three years we formed the national black police association so that was the first step in terms of recognizing that there are other people out there and what are we going to do about that so that was the reform mechanism that that uh, i thought was going to make great change and it did yeah but then when you become when you get near seats of power such as the home secretary such as chief constables Certain people, even though they're in your association, start focusing on future promotions, me included. So carrots are dangled. And then what happens is that we get really entwined and embroiled and confused and distracted in having that difficult conversation about what it's like to be black or Asian in the police service, what we need to do. And on reflection, I'm proud of my work in police reform recruitment retention programs that still run today at the College of Policing and but also providing practical tools. But one of the things I did, I can remember a conversation with, I'm not going to embarrass them because they're still sure. in service, sure. a very, very senior person. And they challenged me and said, I'm not really sure that institutional racism exists. And I walked away from that. And my lesson in life was 
we are talking in opinions. That person mm. believes that it doesn't exist. I believe it does from mm. anecdotal evidence. Mm. What am I going to do about it? So I spent six years of my life doing a doctorate on institutional racism. Now wow. I challenge any chief constable to come before me. And we could actually do this as a podcast with Matt Rowley from the Met. I would sit any of them down and say, have a debate with me based on evidence rather than your opinion. And I tell you what, Roy, every chief constable that I've invited has backed down. Hey, hey listen. Down because- yeah, sorry, cool. I was going to say, I, I'd love to host that um, sort of uh, round table and uh, maybe together we'll be able to get it happening. Maybe I can kind of leverage some of my network to to get them in the room. I'm not sure. I you know remain hopeful and optimistic, but uh, maybe maybe it's something they won't do. Uh, Listen, well, it's it's a parody that it's a parody that in policing, which is evidence based, a lot of decisions are made on opinions. Yeah, uh, and that's that's true of many organisations. So for me, the 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 lesson really, Roy, was around. Um, having an evidence-based courageous conversation not an opinion-based courageous conversation perfect cool i'm interested what's the biggest challenge that either you're facing in your role right now um or one that you you know a client that you're working with is facing right now and then how are you going about tackling that uh, that challenge well i i think there's a lot of challenges there um roy i mean strategically the challenge really is the change between employer and employee yeah. just past the pandemic. The rise of technology, we're now looking at AI, is going to give us into different ways of, of working. Labour shortages are worldwide and new ways of working with the gig economy is going to really change organisations. And equality and diversity and inclusion, rather than just being an afterthought, is now firmly part of the environmental social governance that most organisations, public and private, Need, need to look at so though that's the backdrop strategic backdrop of the world that we live in but the challenges faced by, by me are a, a number um so the first thing is organizations are still looking at ticking the edi box rather mm. than seeing it as part of leadership reform yeah You've got to put it into that leadership reform uh, process and we've got one client who i think has really taken that on board and how do you know you're good now, I meet loads of people who say I'm an EDI expert, including KPMG, Pricewaterhouse. And I say, how do you know? Yeah. What is the standard? How can that What's be measured? What's the measure? So a lot of the programs that I do, you can see behind me, there's a poster. And my programs are uh, approved and accredited by the Institute of um, Leadership and Management. And what I say is always get somebody else to just have a, a, a quick check on you. And there's a lot of charlatans out there, EDI advice. And I mean that, I don't mean to upset, you know, my colleagues in the area, but advice from non-diverse people in privilege. So Mm. I see a lot of work being done, and I will call it out, the College of Policing, but they they look at diversity and it's usually sort of like delivered by white middle-aged men. And I'm going, what is happening here? What is, where is that lived experience? So I would say there's a number of challenges there. Now, going back to the first challenge, yeah, ticking EDI box, one of the best practices that we have at the moment is 
East Midlands Housing Association, and they have really taken that on board. And their approach is a holistic approach of really making key change. And they've not only invested time and money, but they've invested their own leadership um, commitment towards making their organization as inclusive as they can. And, and we can see real change where CEOs and directors just stop, think, locate the why, and then start planning out. I love that call. And it, it sounds like Midland Housing are trying to get it right and actually getting it right. And I think something that you mentioned there, which is really key, a lot of senior leaders, as you said, the power will commit, they'll buy programs, you know, your development programs, your leadership development programs. But it's getting those that leadership, those those, you know, let's call them middle managers, but a senior management level. It's getting them on board with the why, because the tactics on their own just are useless, right? If they can't share that. And there must be, you know, sort of playing devil's advocate here, there must be a lot, sorry, there must be many of those leaders that aren't completely on board with the why because of their personal prejudice. How do you deal with that? Well, I think I think there's two things there that um, are entwined and um, hold people back at middle management. One is that middle managers are really after the next role. They're, mm. they're on that promotion slide. Most of them, you've got a, you've got a a, um, a curve, you know, a bell curve that says some will, some won't, some will be disappointed. Sure. But a majority of them are looking yeah. at that. when they look at these initiatives. A lot of them put those into their leadership DNA to say, how can I look good doing this? What I think we ought to be doing is where you've got promotions, I always advocate outsourcing yeah. or get somebody else to do it. So you are taking away that that psychological pressure to get promoted away from them so they yeah. can focus on the task. Once they focus on the task without thinking, you know, does my bum look big in this? You know, how will I be seen by the CEO? Sure. Then you get a much better outcome. At the moment, pe people are putting too much psychological pressure on themselves. Uh, it's always about how will this enhance me instead of how will this enhance the organisation? I love that. I really do. I, 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 you know, and that answers it because there may be many people that are listening, watching this, that have that sort of dilemma it's like we're, you know, yes, we've kind of got the board to commit to doing this program. Yes, we've identified what their why is. Now it comes down to changing the minds and hearts of you know the people within the organisation. So thank you for that. Cool. Another question for you: Our audience is talent acquisition leadership. They're HR directors. Um, they're CHROs. How do you see talent acquisition? And more important, sorry, as importantly, employee retention developing over the next five years. Look into your crystal ball. Tell us what you think. <laughs> well, first thing I would say talent acquisition is, you know, what, one of the myths is not enough talent from underrepresented groups. Load yeah. of rubbish. Yeah. Uh, evidence shows from US and Europe that people of colour are attaining higher levels of education. So if that's the case. Just on education IQ alone, you've got yeah. enough people there. So your adverts need to be more inclusive, not the same usual com speak. It needs to speak about the outcomes of the requirements 
And one of the things about talent acquisition is that research shows us that women and people of color tend to apply for a role ticking off 100% of the essential criteria, whilst men tick off 60%. Now that means that the men, mostly white men, are just throwing their hat in the ring and other people are looking at essential criteria. That's why you need to change the balance of those adverts and speak about outcomes rather than key requirements or qualifications. If you can do that, you'll get more acquisition of more talented people from underrepresented groups. The, attra the attraction is really about how do we attract people and say we're going to promote a career development path. Sure. And then retention, I mean, I could go on, but I won't. You asked specifically about retention. Yeah. You hire you hire people and you want to get represent representation, but there's a hole in the bottom, bottom of the bucket. Yeah, That's your retention hole. Now, unfortunately, you need to work towards a culture of purpose and actionable inclusion. Right. That creates positive emotional experiences for, for people that are in the group, in the uh, workplace, and also acts as a advertisement board. The first thing, if I go back to policing, that somebody of colour will ask me if they want to join the police, is there racism in the police? Because right. they've heard it, they've seen it. Yeah. Ask you, what's yeah. your experience of it? Now, it's great you saying, yeah, I have experienced it, I overcame it, and this, that, and the other, but it might put people off. Yeah. What you've really got to do is get people to say, in my organisation, if this happens, I know the leadership are down on it like a ton of bricks. I know that there's an outlet for me to speak to. I know this here. So yeah. you can do more building inclusive onboarding programs. Yeah. You can then put in some kind of strategy within um, 60 or 90 days that HR or somebody else goes to speak to that person. Yeah. If, if that's a valuable resource. And, and do a check-in on, 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 on your new hirees and then start putting in support mentoring programs. Now, certainly in the UK, we have the 2010 Equality Act and we have got Section 58, which allows for positive action. Positive action under that section is underused by public and private sectors up and down the UK. And what, why it's underused is that most organisations are fearful of a backlash. Why should I have a programme for people of colour or women? Well, yeah. if we could explain that in very simple terms to say we've got a gap and why there's a gap and what the barriers are, then perhaps people would understand. And at the moment, those strategies are not being implemented by most organisations. So there's there's three things that you really need to cement and think about and have separate strategies for. One is recruitment. Yeah. The next one is retention. Yeah. Put some research around why people aren't being retained, exit interviews by external people, not your own people, because you're yeah. only going to say nice things. If I left your company, Roy, I'll say, oh, it was just something else if I spoke to somebody else. And then the last thing is really about growing your talent which is about progression so there are three elements that organizations really really need to think about some people are doing bits of it well but i haven't seen an organization do all three 
extremely well. Well, listen, cool. That kind of brings me on to my next question. Who is doing great things in our industries or, you know, in our respective markets that you particularly admire? So it could be an individual, could be a company, but someone that you'd like to give a shout out public recognition for. Well, apart from myself, Roy. (laughs) (laughs) I'll endorse you. I'll definitely endorse you. Apart from myself, I would look at Chan for the CEO from EMH Group, East Midlands Housing, smart, articulate. I would, I haven't gone into his story him, himself, but he, you're looking at a chief exec of a large organisation and where he's had to work through, I would say, a lot of challenges, barriers, but he comes uh, comes across very distinguished his team love him and he's always looking forward. He's always looking for succession. He's not interested in the way things are. Yeah. He's not looking for comfort. He's always looking for discomfort moving yeah. forward. So so I think Chan would be my number one recognition. Fantastic. And listen, we'll put a link in the show notes for this program just for people to maybe check out Chan's profile and hopefully inspire them in the way that it sounds like he's inspiring you. We're coming to the end of our meeting, and I'm really sad about that, Cole, because there's so much more that, that we could talk about. Maybe we get you back and, and and you know, we develop a series if, if you were up for that. But I, I won't put you on pressure by asking you for that right now. But what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, to connect with you, What's the best way? Okay, I'm I'm on the usual social medias with LinkedIn. You'll find me on LinkedIn uh, at, at Twitter. So it's at callverma34, which is the Twitter handle. And then directly on www.deep-insight.co.uk. So, or, or somebody could just email you and you could bounce it to me. Hey, listen, I want them to come through to you directly. I don't want any kind of fall between the two stalls. But yeah, if anybody does contact me, of course, I can put put them in touch with with, with you and get that ball rolling. Okay, I, th- th- the other thing I will mention is we'll put all of the links for those contact points for, for call, um, again, below these show notes or wherever it is that you receive this, this podcast show. Listen, time flies, doesn't it? Particularly when you get into a meaty subject like this, it's really, really hard just to cover it in the briefest of conversations. But if you've got any questions for call, then definitely either put them below the comments for this video, email me directly. Again, my contact details will be down there. And if you've got questions for call, let me know. And definitely I can put you guys in touch, maybe get the answers to those questions because it will you know, hopefully serve all, all, all people that are listening to this. Cool. I'm really, really sad to to bring an end to things. I'm sure it's not going to be the last time we get you on the show, but I just want to thank you for sharing your insights, your knowledge bombs, the resources that you talked about. And yeah, thank you so much for, for, for being here with us. No, Roy, thank you very much for uh, inviting me and the HR Lounge. Absolutely fabulous idea share knowledge, learn, be kind, and you can't go wrong. So thank you very much.
No, listen, my absolute pleasure, Cole. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to the HR Live Lounge podcast with your host, Roy Ripper. Be sure to visit royripper.com to join the conversation. Access the show notes and discover our fantastic bonus content.